Namaste. So the subject is right attitude. And let's start with what should be our attitude in speaking and listening. In everything there is a right attitude. But even before we enter the subject, it's um, good to understand the background. Why we should even bother about it. So, as very often we see that in, in life, uh, the teaching or the wisdom comes later and the practice is given first. So, even as we enter into this subject of right attitude, we have been given a little practical demonstration by, by nature as to what should be our attitude when there is delay, when things don't uh, go according to our calculated plan. And uh, this was a little demonstration, not planned, because in life there are very few things that work according to plan. So there are two aspects of life which we need to always remember. One is the unexpectedness. (laughs) And the second is the unpredictability of events. And very often I see people who uh, who get very tormented about it. That life has its share of unexpectedness and the unpredictable walks side by side with all our conceptions and, you know, our efforts to plan out things. But I always feel it's a kind of a boon, a grace. And the grace is because, not just because it makes the play very charming and adventurous, which of course it did. What would be, the, uh, what would be a life where everything is predicted and planned? Uh, But more importantly, it opens doors to sudden progress. And that's what we need to remember that the unexpectedness, the uh, unpredictability comes in to uh, shift us from our fixed boundaries, fixed understanding of life, comfort zones, so that we can take a leap. But it's equally true that uh, if we can take a leap, but equally we can break down, we can fall back. So this is where the the necessity of right attitude comes in because we have this choice to make whenever we meet with challenges and difficulties. We can look upon them as evolutionary, um, you know, evolutionary doors opening upon us, evolutionary possibilities or we can look upon them as uh, with complaint that, you know, somebody has uh, um, thoughted all that we imagined and wanted and therefore we can, you know, sulk wear sackcloths, go into some kind of a depression. So, uh, behind all this, how we will take it, it depends on the attitude that is behind everything. Let's take a small little example before we enter into its deeper application. So, there are children who um, have a little, you know, injury and they don't think in terms of tetanus. And they come and they live life with trust. You know, there was a time when we lived life with trust. At least uh, many of our friends from India would, uh, I have to qualify because I have, I see a lot of Russian friends around. But friends from India uh, would remember that, you know, when we grew up as a child, we we drank the well water. uh, And we took it with trust that everything will be fine. Uh, But now we can't do it. Because if we do it, there are all kinds of things which have broken that spontaneous trust in life. And it worked. The fact that we are alive, the fact that we have grown through all this, it has worked. So there is attitude basically opens us to one or the other kind of determinism. So here we need to understand how this world is arranged or planned 
ordinarily to our ordinary conception there is only this material world to which the religious mind adds a spiritual one with no links in between but if we go by the ancient indian conception a conception which shurabindu confirms this world is a many tiered reality so there are many kinds of circuits and pathways through which we can move at any given point of time and in fact many times different parts of us are navigating on different areas and different zones so what really happens how how are events determined so events are determined on the plane or the determinism that is active in our life at a given point of time and here we may think that it is the circumstances but actually it is the attitude which begins to operate and brings into one kind of determinism or another let's take a few example say in the face of a threat external threat and uh, i can take an attitude of fear i can take an attitude that i am going to be swallowed up i can take an attitude that my life is going to crash this is the end of the story and in all likelihood by this very attitude i am opening the doors to a way the, one of the lowest kind of determinism fear opens us to the uh, lowest network in which we are ordinarily caught that lowest network is fear fear greed hunger that is death and therefore life remains a torment even when we have things we are tormented you know whether there is a corona there is a torment if that is not there there is another reason for torment but equally in the face of a danger and a difficulty or a real threat we take a different attitude and that attitude could be that well i trust myself or entrust myself completely in the hands of the divine now when we do that and we do it with all sincerity we open ourselves to the play of higher forces so there are there are higher network of forces beings energies godheads call it what we may and something still higher which is the divine grace and this begins to operate on, uh, in our life and can change not only change things that means take away the danger but it can change us within so that we grow and evolve through the process now this is something where there are n number of examples i have myself encountered and i'm sure everybody who has gone through life has encountered that how this attitude brings one sort of determinism or another into play so this is one of the most important single determining factor which helps us uh you know it's like a law of circumstances we may say because ordinarily we think it is circumstances which determine what we will do and who we are but actually it is the other way around so we see that in yoga the whole emphasis is on shifting the needle of consciousness within and if we can do that the circumstances begin to change so this is the general background and here the mother advises us that in any given situation any given difficulty or danger or um, a seeming impossibility we should take the best possible um, attitude the highest attitude now what does it mean does it mean that we are going to meet with inevitably let's say we are having a um, terminal illness let's take an example where there is certain death will my right attitude ensure that i continue to live it may not it may or it may not and yet we should take the right attitude and the reason is very beautifully in savitri we have this line regarding fate so uh, when narad is revealing the secret of fate one of the places he reveals o king thy fate is a transaction done between nature and thy soul at each moment with god is the foreseeing arbiter he can accept 
the man's soul can accept or he can refuse his fate. Now, this sounds very, um, oh, we can refuse our fate and things will change. So, Shirobindo goes on to reveal, even if the one maintains the unseen decree, yet is thy refusal written in thy credit page. For doom is not a close, a mystic seal. Arisen from the tragic crash of life, the spirit rises mightier with each defeat. Its godlike wings grow wide with every fall. So what attitude does is, it first of all reorients ourselves. Attitude is all about reorienting. Reorients ourselves in the right direction. So I, uh, what I have to do is, I have to refuse what I need to refuse. Yet, the refusal may not be, may not... Uh, immediately lead to a change of situation or circumstances. Still something goes as an, as an imprint within me and that's where, you know, it's something very interesting or beautiful in uh, I keep reminding that rebirth, the doctrine of rebirth unfortunately it is considered as uh, reward and punishment. But it is something so beautiful because it allows for the evolutionary possibility in human beings. Frankly, if there is no rebirth suddenly a soul pops from heaven or wherever and is condemned here, given one life, each one with a different starting point and after that life it's done, it's, uh, it's quite an arbitrary process. But rebirth allows for evolution. So right attitude always keeps us reorienting towards something which is higher and greater, a, a perfection that is yet to come. It does not mean automatically that things will change immediately, but it will take us closer and closer to the true goal. So there is a nice story about um, uh, Mirabai, one of the saints in Rajasthan. And the story goes that when time came for a marriage, so she asked, uh, she was not sure whether I should marry or not. The story goes, you know, don't ask me for the references, and but the gist is very beautiful. So the gist is that she asked someone that whether I should marry or not. And she asked one of her aunts. And this aunt told her, it's an excellent thing to get married. So why? He says, see, I'm married to a man who takes care of me from morning to night. From morning Betty to making sure that he presses my feet and ensure that I sleep very well. So, you know, you must marry. Now, <laughs> Mira understand that this is uh, all hoax. <laughs> this cannot be true. This is one of those WhatsApp stories that circulates to entangle people. So she says, no, 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 I'll ask somebody else. So this lady says that because he does all this, I have time with me. And that time I can devote and dedicate to the pursuit of the divine. Because that's what Mira's quest is. So she says, okay, that's good. But she double checks, you know, you should always take a second opinion. So she goes to another aunt and she says, you must marry. Because uh, why do you say so? She says, you know, my husband is the most unloving uncaring fellow in the whole world but because of that look at it I could never get attached to him so all my emotions naturally turn to God because I have no opportunity no way that I can get attached to this man now she understood the key is the attitude that we take towards life if we take a wrong attitude which, which is an attitude where we want to basically just satisfy or fulfill our desire we want to uh, you know, that's what people understand by attitude, that what is going to give me success in life. Now, when we take that attitude, when we live life only to fulfill our desire, then we miss the higher plan, which is what is operating all the time. So, as I said, every unpredictable event 
uh, event, every unexpected thing in life is essentially a course correction. So there is a very beautiful line in Savitri. Times unforeseen accidents. God's random plan. So things are going along a predictable line. But they are somewhere moving away from the original script. And something happens. It changes us. Changes our life. And if we take that opportunity, we come back and reorient ourselves. So the other day someone, I had a little... um, discussion with someone and the person said since the time I have taken to yoga I have begun to question myself and it's very uncomfortable because you know you are uh, <laughs> you are leading a life we have a certain concept and idea about ourselves we have an idea about life and we are going then things happen begin to change inside and you begin to question yourself your very basis so I said that's very good because when we question life we learn and grow and when we question ourselves we reinvent reorient we rediscover So that's why these things happen so that we can rediscover and reorient ourselves. And once we understand it, then life becomes something very beautiful. That there is something known as a set of attitudes, um, carrying it in our bag and keeping it, we move through life. And this is the general background because attitude opens the doors to one kind of determinism or another. But... Along with that, there are certain set of attitudes which we can apply in specific situations, but derived from that. And that will depend upon the goal that we place before ourselves. So, for instance, if my goal is, I should just uh, enjoy life, have fun. So, well, people have that goal and it's perfectly fine. Then what should be my attitude? My attitude would naturally come from there. That, well, I should do things which will make me get more and more wealth, get me more and more out of success, enjoy life, whatever is understood by enjoying life. But we must understand that that is not the right attitude. And why that is not the right attitude? Because eventually it takes us further and further away from the core truth of our own existence. So as at one point Sri says very beautifully, it is better to be a, a competent shoemaker than to be an incompetent king. So there is a truth within us which is trying to express itself. And there are challenges to that truth. And we need to accept it and then go ahead. But very often we want to take an easier path. In everything we want to take an easier path. Now easier path is then we can forget about attitude and right attitude. Then we are just trying to figure out, planning things, scheming, deceiving, somehow wanting to um, benefit in the, in, in the short term uh, through... You know, things which are of a transient and temporary nature. So, first of all, we need to decide for ourselves what is of real value to us because the attitudes will come from that. So, do I value things for their own sake, for the little joys they can give me? Or do I value them for something deeper, something higher, something more enduring? So, the mother gives a very beautiful, uh, interesting example. She says, in life, when we meet through many things, it's always surrounded, mixed with... Uh, hundred of things which are around it like a crust Let, let's take a simple example so in life we have a tendency to divide things into right and wrong truth and falsehood very often we do that but in real life things are mixed everywhere there is a grain of truth and everywhere there is a coat of falsehood we ourselves uh, are a coat of falsehood covering a truth in the sense that our mind, our life, our vitals, our 
desired self, our emotions, everything betrays this deep, deeper truth. So there is in everything this mixture. So when we try to divide life into this or that, like a black and white, we miss the very, you know, this is what has led towards another worldliness. Eventually you discover that truth is simply a bare reality, far away from everything in the world. Well, if that be the goal, then it's a different thing. So people often say that when we seek the permanent, we should give up everything that is transient. But there is another approach that in everything there is a grain of truth, like an ingot of gold. And our task is to very carefully remove the husk, layer by layer, step by step, and bring out that ingot of gold. So, now here comes the problem that some, in some cases, instances, people, situations, grain of gold is always there because in everything there is a divine impulsion, divine truth. But it is, there is so much of quotes of falsehood, so much of mixture, that it becomes very difficult to really work through it. But there are other situations, people, circumstances where truth is shining through the courts of falsehood and it becomes a lot more easy. So in every situation, every circumstance, we have to look for that little thing which is hiding inside. Now why is it hiding? Because it has to develop. These courts are required to cover and allow time for this little grain to develop and grow and become ripe. So once we understand that this is how the grand plan is working, so then life becomes very simple and easy and beautiful. We learn to navigate through everything. And we can learn a lot about our attitude simply by observing nature. For instance, one of the places the mother describes that, you know, be like a river. So what is meant by be like a river? So, well, when we move in life, in the course of journey of life, we see that obstacles come. People come who stop our path, block us and you know, uh, we have certain goals and they come in the way of those goals. So what do we do? What does being like a river mean? So the river needs to know where it comes from, origin. River needs to know where it has to go. And everything else will depend upon the answer to these two questions. For example, if I say my origin is, I am son of Mr. So-and-so. If my origin is a certain country, if my origin is a certain language, certain custom or tradition, and if my goal is, let's say, something very uh, mundane or temporary, then I will act in a certain way. But as I keep going back and say my origin is divine, that's why one of the first things that is taught in yoga is to know who we are because everything else flows from it. So set of attitudes cannot be just impose that you must practice this, get this attitude, it won't develop automatically. Because the goal has not changed, the goal has not shifted. But if I understand that this is my origin, see this is something very beautiful. If you look at the Vedas, the Upanishads, the Puranas, many of the, uh, you know, what we can call as philosophies, start with the origin, how creation originated. Because the origin of creation is my origin also. So how I define my origin will determine how I react or act towards situation and circumstances. Let's take, for example, a common problem that people face. And that's a problem of division. People fight with each other. Nations fight with each other. Religions fight with each other. Ideologies fight with each other. And they continue to fight till they fix their origin at a given point of time. An ideology has taken birth, say in 1600. 
a religion has AD. A religion has taken birth, let's say in 600 AD. Now, I have fixed my origin at that point of time. And therefore, I need to fight with all other ideologies and religions which have come later or which are anterior. But if I fix my origin as the same origin as everybody else, which is incidentally the most logical thing and the most commonsensical thing, then what happens? Then I automatically have an inclusive approach. So you see how this changes everything. And this is something which I... Uh, I use this thing about Sanatana Dharma which is so interesting. So origin is one. If I take it that my origin and your origin is one. So we have a common meeting ground to start with. At least there is a stable ground on which we meet. But at the same time I understand that this one is uh, unfolding in different ways. Then I celebrate the difference. But if the origin is not one if they are different origins, one has originated through one Babaji, another person has originated through another uh, saint, third person has originated through another philosopher. Now when I do that, then I don't even have a common meeting ground. And then I cannot celebrate the differences, but these differences will appear as threatening. So when we understand that there is one origin, then humanity automatically will grow into that state of oneness. But without blurring the distinctions and differences because that one is not a numerical one which is what I keep saying this one is an infinite oneness which is at the core of creation this is just to say that one simple shift inside gives us a whole new approach to life it is life changing experience and that's why very often uh, you know once there was a talk in one of the hotels here someone has come all the had come all the way from America and I was invited to the talk and the person was speaking about the power of zero so, you know, lot about Eastern philosophy. <laughs> I don't know why I was there. I really don't know why somebody called and I didn't understand why I am called, but out of some kind of obligation or probably it was required and I went there and uh, then after it was finished, uh, question and answer, I just look here, you have spoken all about power of zero. Now, if you give me five minutes, I will tell you about the power of one. Now, it's when we look at things from the point of view of zero, then life moves towards annihilation and annulment. If I look at, I mean, of course, I understand the deeper philosophical aspects of zero and one uh, on which the entire computer and all the worlds are built. But if we look at it as the, from the point of view of one, it's all about expression and manifestation. If I, I am one, but I express myself in different ways. I am different when I am a father, different when I am a son, different in when I am, you know, speaking, different when I am... Uh, typing out something, giving a talk or listening to a talk, all this but there is this one and all these are different expressions so first thing important is to get so, some of our fundamentals right so another fundamental which uh, you know I um, or two of them which I used to use in my office um, outside in Bangalore so people would read before they enter into the office, it was like priming them that do you still need counselling, then you step in so one of them was and I use it several times. Don't worry about small things. Two steps to regulating worry. Step one, don't worry about small things. Okay? Fine. Step two, everything is a small thing. You know, this was, <laughs> this was uh, there was a little joke about it that a man and a woman, husband and wife, okay. So they lived very happily ever after. So how is it possible? 
So they asked the husband, what is the secret? I see you people never fight. He said, very simple. I take all the big decisions of, uh, I take all the major decisions and my wife takes all the minor decisions. He said, how can it be possible? So he asked, please explain. She says, you know, minor decisions like uh, property, purchase, house that we have to build, the TV, all this she takes. So what are the major decisions you take? He says, I decide whether America and Iran, there should be how, whether there should be a, what kind of nuclear policy you should have. So you see, this is about really speaking at one level when we look at it. We understand that in life, most of the things, the mother gives a very simple exercise. She says, step back. One simple thing which can prevent us from a whole lot of problems is simply not to rush into action. See this uh, saying, adage, is so beautiful that fools rush <laughs> where angels dare to tread. And I must say that, you know, all of us, at least I have learned, rushing into things, and I can give you some number of examples where you uh, learn by burning your fingers. So... One of them was where the lady maid servant who was working. Now, uh, she had a bad fight with the husband, and you know, eventually, uh, my wife, she like activist, she said, "No, no, how can you? How can this happen? I will. You come with me to the police, and I am going to sort it out." I told her, "Just hold on, don't rush into it." So, anyways, she she said, "Come." She said, "Yes, I'm, I'll come." So there was a woman police, and you know, uh, everything complaint was registered. They called the man. The man was drunk. So their usual approach, you know, how the police operated. How dare you, uh, you are harsh to your wife and gave him three, four slaps. Then suddenly this lady changed. No, no, you can't do that to my husband. He said, why <laughs> you have complained? No, 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 whatever it be. Even if he's a drunkard, he's my husband. You don't have a right to hurt him. So you see, many times we have to learn to step back, to look at life, to understand um, as a counsellor I have seen very often uh, and I must say activists can never be counsellors because they are going to hurriedly, rashly given advice, imprudent advice. In fact, in general, you know, activism brings its own uh, toll. So, for example, you know, there are people who become, uh, I'm sorry, I may offend some sensibilities, but you know, they are as much uh, uh, hard dogmatic about the new religion called being a vegan uh, as you know about something else now the person had a logic who met me and said no if we are vegans uh, it will bring changes in the world I said see what it will do people will not eat meat Uh, they will not eat milk they will not eat everything born out of milk so they they should have raw, raw diet so you know what will happen it will not change. Many people will probably go back to the meat eating simply because you are doing something which is not consistent with human nature. So that's where we have to understand that, you know, this kind of tendency to divide life into black and white is itself a very counter attitude. So what should be the right attitude? Mother says, wideness and suppleness. And very often she would... Uh, you know, uh, give very interesting shockers. For instance, when there was this all-vegetarian congress and somebody asked the mother, mother give a message 
and for two months, three months, she didn't give a message and mother, you give a message, no message. Mother, give a message, they are waiting for your message. She says, I wanted to tell a whole lot of things but I was waiting because that would have completely. <laughs> so, the message that came to her at that point of time which she didn't give, she later on changed it, made it very milder and moderate, more acceptable. Was, Stop making fuss. So, what is the fuss? She says that people who indulge in food, that I must eat this food, that food, every kind of food. And people who take the other approach of completely, I'll deny this food, deny that food. He says, you're both indulging with food. Your consciousness is still centered around food. So, instead of making a fuss about the food that we are going to eat, or not eat and all the time letting ourselves ponder about it let's give first of all be very clear about what is of real value and true worth so this is the first thing necessary that what is of real importance and then when we step back and see we see that most of the things are of very little importance and yet they come to us they create touch us they evoke reactions of pleasure and pain and of course that is the normal process of growing up but what is important is that behind all these responses and reactions we must always keep burning as a staff of faith that well all this is happening but there is this deeper, this larger picture this greater thing towards which we are all moving so that holds us, that anchor this anchor of faith, this anchor of the flame of aspiration the journey, why we are on this on any journey at all so while these things will come, it's not like, but we'll be uh, solidly rooted. It's like, you know, the example can be that when a boat is tied to an uh, anchor and when waves come, so the boat rocks. But then, because it is tied, it is well anchored. Therefore, even though the boat rocks, it doesn't, you know, lose itself, it doesn't drift. Why? Because the anchor is there. So it's so important to have an attitude, right attitude, most importantly includes faith, you know. Faith in what? At least faith in oneself, faith in destiny, faith in the divine, faith that if fate has created, given us a challenge, it has equipped us with all that is necessary to meet that challenge. This is a basic faith that must run through. Very often people give up. Oh, they start complaining that, you know, why God has given us this challenge? Well, instead of that, one should say, he thinks that I am worthy of going through it. Who is given the test of fire? But steel, gold. So once we take that approach of faith, that all that is happening in life, there is a very beautiful um, word in Sanskrit and Shurabindu speaks about it as one of the most important elements in the synthesis of yoga and uses the word Kalyan Shraddha. And that Kalyan Shraddha is that Whatever be the situation, circumstances, ultimately it will be for our good. And what is that good? That good is growth of consciousness. Because that is the only real thing which matters. And those who have this attitude will grow through anything and everything. There is this story of the mother when somebody came and asked her, that, uh, tell me I want to know how, much, how many lumps of sugar I need to put in my uh, milk. And she said, well, 
it's not uh, that which is important but the attitude which with you take your milk that is important so this is the power of what is our inner state attitude is all about the inner state surface consciousness will still go through because mastering the surface consciousness completely freeing oneself from all the reactions is a long process but attitudes are like anchor they keep orienting us so when the boat is drifting attitude brings us back back to the um, to the staff which is holding it so this is one then it applies to every area of life so there is the story of uh, one of the king who is chased by uh, the enemies and he had once gone to his guru and the guru had given him something written scribbled on a paper and um, told him that you keep it don't open it open it only when you are face to face with an impossible situation so he kept it and then one day when he was chased by the enemy he, he had to halt because there was a big chasm and the horse could not jump it was not chetak who could jump across a whole chasm and behind the enemy is closing in so he knew death is inevitable and at that point of time he remembered his guru he takes it out and opens and then he started laughing so everybody came near that why is he laughing has he gone mad so he said uh, why are you laughing so much he said well this the teaching of my guru makes me laugh and what is it so all that was written there was this too shall pass away i found this something very beautiful in life you know uh, and and from here comes a very beautiful meditation in life whenever we are faced with let's say a difficult situation so one is that to narrow down clamp down onto that immediate thing the second is when we contemplate the boundlessness of space the endlessness of time and then we see this is not, not even a wave but just a little surface turbulence yes it will bring up evils may bring up evils but eventually this will pass away so the focus should be on the longer larger journey the the bigger picture all the time so as i again and again this does not mean that automatically things in our outer life will change they may not and yet something deeper a deeper truth like that grain of gold will begin to emerge so as i think the other day i was speaking about this lady who came to the mother seeking uh, corrective for her face because there was some surgery uh, there was some ugly patch or something now you know this um, as an aside <laughs> often i say people that well if you think it's an ugly patch change your inlook towards yourself it's why do you define yourself through the conventional eyes of people there are people in this world who will think only being fair is beautiful there are people who think savra salona dark is handsome tall dark handsome so this idea of defining ourselves but anyways she wanted some kind of corrective and she came to seek a yogi who can cure her without surgery no yogi could and she eventually landed up with mother and mother said you stay here for some time and then we will see so after some days she goes and she meets the mother and after a year she says mother something very strange has happened that though nothing has happened here but i have shifted inside so what is the change she says earlier before i came i thought everything is good suddenly i have started seeing 
a whole world of disorder and chaos in human life. Now, this is something which when we undertake yoga, we begin to observe. We all have a very neat picture of ourselves. You know, we paint the house outside very nice and we take care of the immediate living room but everything else is in a mess. So suddenly she became aware of the disorder inside and in others too. So she said, Mother, what shall I do? See, Mother laughed and said, Take another step further. And if you take that step further, then you will discover that behind all this disorder, still there is the divine who is churning all these elements. See, this is one of the most beautiful images that I um, personally, it, it, I love this image. And that image is of the great churning. So often used that in the ashram context, that is the giant washing machine of the divine. So, you know, there is a, what, what happens when you do the churning? So, when you do the churning, so everything goes topsy-turvy. So, things which were settled in their fixed position down below, they will come up. Why do they come up? They come up to be discarded. But equally, something else happens through churning. A deeper possibility begins to emerge. So, when you churn milk, it can throw up cream, which is there inside the milk. So, through this churning that takes place, constant change, what we call as change is basically a churning by the divine and it's a giant churning and of course poison too comes out, it's a process and then it is eliminated and then comes the Amrit. So, one of the important aspects uh, that Madhra and Shubhinda revealed to us is that life is not just changing. See, one way to look at life is everything is changing, it's, it gives you a peace. Because, you know, this static idea of life is my comfort zone. Static idea of life is, when I am 25, I'll have a good job, I'll get married, and life will be happy thereafter. Well, we might as well say problems <laughs> begin thereafter. <laughs> but we have this static idea of life, where we reach a point and then we are in a comfort zone. But there is another idea which is a dynamic idea of life. Everything constantly is changing. There is nothing which is going to remain fixed forever. So, some people looking at it are troubled because change, change means adjustment. Change means adaptation. But behind adjustment and adaptation, the right word is evolution. Change means evolution. There is a very interesting Chinese saying this one thing about the Chinese which I like, this ancient sayings. Huh? <laughs> so this is about ancient China, when yoga was still there. So, so the saying goes that when you come across a wall, then change and pass through. Now you see it's in, written in a aphoristic way. How do you pass through a wall? Change and pass through. Now it makes you to think. So as I said, be like a river. If a river knows its origin, it knows its goal. So in the path, whatever comes, just by the impulsion of the origin and by its attraction to the goal, it will go across anything and everything. When the river knows I have to go into that great ocean, which is the ocean of divine love, then it will be helplessly drawn towards it and every event in the way will become a feeder. If it comes across a boulder, it will 
that will sink inside and the river will continue. If it comes through a mountain, it will just circuit it around and continue because it's impelled by that mighty source. So to remember that we are not here, you know, very often the problem is that we make very, very small short-term goals, but you know, always I remember what Sri Aurobindo said in Savitri, oh force-compelled, fate-driven, earth-born race, not for a changeless littleness where you meant, not for vain repetition where you built. And then he goes on to remind us that this transient earthly being, if he so wills, can fit his acts into transcendent schemes. And he further reminds us, all mighty powers are shut in nature's cells. So, when a disease comes, even recently, let's say that, you know, we had all this, I don't want to call it again and again, uh, whatever it was, (laughs) whatever it is. But, on one side, the reaction was fear. But what really is this uh, little virus? It is actually challenging the body. Which body? One approach can be, Oh my God, my body, it will, it may die. So many are dying. Supposing I take another attitude. This body contains within it the one whose breath drives the stars, creates and destroys millions of universes. A very beautiful uh, meditation given by Sri It doesn't use the word meditation. Prism to us. Okay, we are going to give you a meditation. No, none of that. But he gives so many meditations. So one of them is in the Upanishad, he says, lift your eyes towards the sun. So what do you see? That brilliant splendor. And there are many, many, many millions of suns. Who has brought them out of existence? So he starts from there. He says, well, this sun is, and many such suns and luminous stars are brought out of that one. How mighty and powerful that origin is. And then he says, but come nearer. Look at this yonder old man. Look at this little child in the blush of a girl, in the strength of a man, in the beauty of woman. Everywhere it is the same splendor which has created it. And then he says, come nearer. He is in you. He is you. Then he reminds us that in your body, you carry, in your apparent body, you carry that one whose breath brings out and destroys a million universes. Now, just imagine how silly it would be if one lives with this attitude and confronts even death, obvious, apparently obvious death. Will one smile at it? Knowing that this change is yet another step toward the future. Complete organ transplant, free of cost as I keep saying. New opportunity, new possibility. Imagine, otherwise life would be stuck with the same man, same woman, same situation, same job. It's an opportunity given to us, but not without completing the evolutionary curve. You have to go through the challenges, the changes. They are coming to bring out the best within us. Every crisis is there to bring out the best. But equally every crisis can break down. So that's why depending on the attitude, we'll take it as an evolutionary challenge and then we turn it into a feeder for our strength. So there is a very 
nice little couplet in Urdu and uh, also something equivalent in English I had read that uh, you know every person whom you see is truly strong ask him to show his wounded feet and how many scars he carries on his feet so there is a line in or, or a couplet in Urdu uh, one is that whomever you see who has reached the house of the Lord if you examine him closely you will see many uh, scars on his feet but another one which is um, my favorite so I'll say it in Urdu and then translate in English so the Urdu couplet goes like this Girte hai seh sawar hi maidane jang mein Girte hai seh sawar hi maidane jang mein Bujh dil wo kya gire who falls on the battlefield? Those who have taken the challenge and ride on the horse. And that person who is walking on knees forever in his life, supplicating, he never knows what is fall. So you see, even through that bitterness of death and fall, something carries us. It's the whole thing is all about the way we look at things, the value which we uh, things to which we give more importance you know that story of the Sikh Saadi who is a you know uh, well known fakir who is several stories in the Indian context we have heard who is you know sitting below a palm tree and in a desert and eating something and the court philosopher court philosopher is supposed to flatter the king they get paid for this and then they write history <laughs> and then they become famous so the king looks at him and says, Who is this fellow? Fool. Sitting in this uh, grueling heat and eating something. So he says, Sir, he's a man of no consequence. He says, no, no, no. It looks, he looks uh, something of consequence. <laughs> at least I need to know. So he goes all the way and asks him. So the court philosopher, before the king can ask, he says, What a fool you are. If you knew how to please the king, you wouldn't have to be sitting like this because he realizes he is the man whom the king has outcast from his kingdom because he never knew how to please the king. So the man says, well, I think you are a greater fool. If you knew how to eat gruel, you won't need to please the king for the rest of your life. So all depends on what we really value. It's so important. So we should once for all always fix for ourselves what is it that we really value and what is it that we is of much more importance to us, what is of great importance to us and what is of temporary passing importance. So very often people say when we shift from one life to another we carry the karmas. No sir. Karmas are left here. What do you carry? The essence of the experience which is the growth of consciousness. That is a permanent asset. It's never lost. Even if situation and circumstances didn't change, yet this growth which took place through the process, that will always remain. And there we come to that most important last bit. I mean, this is a very vast subject. Uh, you know, one could go on and go on, go on with several examples um, from everywhere. But uh, most important is that Mother reminds us it has served for me as a beacon for my life. And she says, we are not here for happiness. We are here for progress. 
But then she goes on to say, it is progress that brings happiness. So if we place happiness as the goal of life, then we can forget about attitudes. Because then attitude means by hook or by crook, let me get my share of happiness. And every time we keep getting it, we become more and more this quick fix solution, this high on McDonald's happiness, high on Coca-Cola happiness. So ultimately it leads to higher and higher drugging ourselves till that thing which gave happiness starts giving us pain, instant gratification. But on the other hand, if we take progress as the goal, Shabindu contrasts these two approaches. So when we take the first approach, life is pleasant in the beginning. You see, very often I see and I, I take a little smile and you know, always near the ashram nowadays, very nice photo shoots. So you, <laughs> you'll see the lady is wearing such wonderful, nothing wrong with all that. Huh? It's, it's nice to watch. And the man is lifting her lehenga. And in that posture, they are clicking a photograph or they are coming close and you know, it, it's like a picture perfect. Life is very happy. <laughs> so, those who have lived a little through life, <laughs> they say, Acha, acha, abhi to picture shuru nahi. <laughs> the movie hasn't yet started, it's still the advertisement going on. So, you know, <laughs> so wait for the real movie. Uh, this is not that, you know, life will offer that. But if we keep that approach that life is not for just begging, borrowing, stealing happiness, but for progress, then first step, first one, Life for happiness, it's very pleasant in the beginning. No discipline is required, nothing, no, no growth factor. Live life the way it is drifting us. But as we grow further and further, it brings more and more pain. So he compares it to a cup where the taste is very good in the beginning. But as we touch the bottom, the drought becomes poison drought and very bitter. It no more gives us pleasure. But a life dedicated to progress is difficult in the beginning. But as we go closer and closer to the bottom, every sip is intoxicating and it is enthralling and gives us a tremendous joy. So shift inside the goal, happiness or progress, and life will change. Attitudes will automatically come. If the goal is progress, everything in life, every situation, every circumstance, even the most impossible can help us grow and progress. Because there is always some progress to be made. But if you take happiness as a goal of life, everything, even if God stands in front and says, what do you want? I will give you. You get it. He gives you actually. Like the Midas touch And it will lead to pain and suffering So this is one And most importantly To trust the wisdom that has built the world Which is ingrained in creation The divine is Woven in the fabric of life He is not somebody out there Watching in heaven Well he is out there also Okay, That's not <laughs> But most importantly He is inwoven in every bit Every time beat Every moment that the clock ticks, something eternal is there which upholds the flow of time. Every corner, every space, every atom, not a point which is void of his presence. And therefore, 
there is a wisdom which is operating in the flow of time, in the flux of time. And if we learn to trust that wisdom, to hold on to that wisdom, to remember that wisdom, to consecrate to that wisdom as a practice, whatever is happening, it may look terrible. But instead of saying, complaining, oh, it is terrible. Let me run away from here. This is what Arjuna wanted to do. Instead of doing that, instead of complaining, instead of doubting that wisdom, if you simply say, well, I am here for whatever reason, don't get into blame, complain, guilt, trip. All this is waste of energy. But I am here in this situation, whatever has brought me here. Now, the only thing important is, where do I take it forward? And for that, to learn to keep on consecrating that moment, that event, that circumstance, that situation to the divine. That means we bring into play the highest possibility. And we can do it by writing. Write letters to the mother. I have seen it myself. That whenever in life there is a moment of crisis. Now of course it becomes easier because you can contact and connect and inwardly offer. But... I used to, I mean, there was a time when I wanted to write a will. Okay, this, sometime back, not the recent one. <laughs> so, I, there was a physical problem and I felt that this is now, uh, looks like a grand finale. So, I wrote a will and I told, look here, you know, because this is how it is going to be. But then, what I was doing was, I was writing every day my condition to the mother. Suddenly from that point onwards, from the next day, magic started. And the whole thing vanished. It was like I was taken to a point where she says, utter helplessness of a child. I still remember that day when I was just lying. I came back from work and I was lying exhausted. And I simply was abandoning myself to the mother. And things changed. There is another little story of a similar kind with which we will stop because otherwise there are stories and stories and endless stories. But this is a very instructive one and the story is the mother recounts it in one of her talks and it's about Amalkiran. Amalkiran also speaks about it. So one day he was prone to certain excesses. But one day in that state of excess he took something three times the dose, ordinary dose. I mean every drug we know as a lethal dose. Some some medicines, you take twice the amount, it can kill you. Others, ten times the amount, they will kill you. So, we had taken three times the lethal dose. So, you can imagine what is being told. And suddenly, he realized that he has done something which is so stupid and it's inevitable. And he started that at point of time, started surrendering himself to the mother. And he could actually experience that whole consciousness of withdrawing from everywhere, is centered in the heart. And then as he slipped into that state of, uh, you know, what can be called as unconsciousness, in that state of complete surrender. And he survived, he was saved. And Mother recount this as the attitude which makes a difference even during the last moment. You know, Sri Krishna speaks about that last moment departure. What is your attitude? Actually, there was this upahar tragedy, fire which many of us are aware, in which many were killed due to carbon monoxide poisoning. The first day, first show of the movie Border and there was a fire and many people got confused. 
the door was closed it all happened in a state of confusion then my own six of my cousins were involved in that i mean involved in the sense that they were watching the movie and they were admitted to uh, to the ic of allendam institute and one died and five survived and i actually had an occasion to talk to them and all of the five who survived all of them being bhaktas of krishna last minute they said okay krishna whatever you wish and whatever is your will and they were remembering krishna inwardly what about the other one who died sadly she was thinking about her child very naturally and she kept saying oh where are you where are you she died and the child whom she was worried about who didn't even know what is to be done survived so this is the power of attitude right attitude keep the divine at the center and the core keep the divine in the front keep the divine behind keep the divine all around and life will be beautiful that's what we have heard from the upanishad that's what we have learned from the mother tadejati tannejati taddure taduvantike tadantarasye sarvasya yadu bahyat now out it looks like a very philosophical saying divine is inside divine is outside divine is far divine is near and people have written lot of philosophical commentaries on it <laughs> but i am a practical person for me it is so reassuring okay you are inside you are outside you are all around you are far even if i was projected to <laughs> any domain of consciousness you are there and you are there even in the darkest hell o thou who pervadest all the worlds below yet sittest above therefore master of all who work and rule and no servant of love so once we remember this life is beautiful once we keep progress as the goal life is beautiful once we take all the changing circumstances we understand that this change has a direction and a purpose and we look upon them as evolutionary challenges life is beautiful and most important if you remember we are on a great and wonderful journey a great adventure of consciousness and joy in which things will come and they will go but most important is that through all this change there is the eternal within us more than me it is her journey that's what i keep telling mother this is your journey in me so then hand over all your responsibility to the grace when difficult hours comes take it as a grace and indeed it will turn out to be so turn out to be so plenty of such things we should carry faith is the surest guide in the darkest days another one where she says that you know uh, remember that the divine will never fail you sure short thing it will take time doesn't matter but if we keep on our faith and endurance we will find eventually that through everything she pulls us everything 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 okay namaste i don't want to <laughs> keep uh, flowing with the inspiration already we have gone past time but if there is something yeah i have a question can i ask yes please namaste alukda namaste um i wanted to ask that you spoke about in the beginning about the unexpectedness of life and how it is it's very basic character and we we are very afraid of it somehow as human beings 
my question was that I always find myself in this uh, binary of, you know, establishing a spontaneous trust in life and at the same time also planning for things. Well, so because we have to plan as well, yes, sometimes yes, I feel yes. it's important yes, to be a planner yes. in life, and you know, we are told to be a strategic yes, planner. Yes, yes, and absolutely. that balance sometimes is I'm not even established that when should I plan and when should I let go. Yes, so this is not a binary, binaries are dangerous, you know, binaries, the age of binaries is over. So, this is not a binary, these are steps. So, as you said, on one side, there's the trust in life, in grace, in destiny, on the other side, there's the planning. So Planning is part of the movement of life. So we need to plan. See, this trust doesn't mean I let, I don't play my role. I must play my shot well. So I need to plan. And yet I must know that this plan I offer at the feet of the divine. And then I must know that, well, I have planned. Yet the result may be completely unforeseen. And yet through all these unforeseen events... There is a great grand event which is going to take place towards which we are moving. That's the divine event. So we must plan because that is given to us uh, as um, you know this Shobinda puts it in. There is a beautiful essay, all will and um, free will and fate. It's about that. Or So he starts with this um, little saying of Napoleon. So he was asked, Napoleon completely believed in fate. But he planned very meticulously all this. So he was asked that you believe in fate, why do you plan? So he gave a cryptic reply, but one that is the most closest. And he said, it is fated that I plan. So you see, that's our role and we must play our role well. When I go to, let's say, play the game of cricket, life is a game where, well, unexpectedness is there. It's, it's indeed a play. But I must play well. I can't go there to bat and say it doesn't matter, I'll stand if, if my wicket has to be gone, it's gone or suddenly the ball will touch my bat and go to four. No, because then we miss out on the joy of the play to start with. See, we can look at all these things as a means to increase the delight of the divine in us but that's something which comes much later. So, but I must play my role even if uh, it doesn't work out. So, there's that story of the man who was going up and he met with a big rock and uh, you know he asked God what do I do so he heard a voice push so he said push impossible situation he said are you okay so he again heard push so he pushes nothing happens you know that is a huge rock he keeps uh, getting this inspiration to push after it. by night he just sits tired complains the creator and then he wakes up, it was evening time when he met, the, then he wakes up and he sees there is an alternate way. So he suddenly goes and he finds it was so easy to navigate through the rock. So he is asked, he asked, why did you make me push when there was a simple way? I am sure, you know, you could have shown me this way in the evening, you didn't show me. He said, look here, now what's happened in the process? You were going to climb the mountain. You would have been completely asphyxiated you have to develop the stamina and the strength you didn't bother about developing it so I had to do it midway a boulder came and by pushing you developed all that is necessary to reach to the top so that's how we have to do our bit of effort why I am saying is that our bit of effort may or may not lead to the desired result that's why the Gita speaks about Nishkam Karma 
but it will lead to the result which will take me closer and closer to my true goal. So I must plan, put in effort, then leave it to the wisdom which way it takes me through all that effort. That's all that is required. Yes. And it's been a joy to hold it for you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you, Dr. Rob. Yeah. Bye, everyone.